0: Hey, good morning, good to have you with us this morning, good to have you joining us online as well this morning. Uh, before we get started, um, I need to let you know, some of you already know this, our sister Rodlin lost her mother to cancer this weekend, and we need to be, uh, we need to be covering Rodlin and her family in prayer. Uh, during this time. Her mom was in Atlanta, and because of the situation, Rodlin couldn't be there. She was able to, to get together with her a little bit uh, through technology, but let's be sure and keep Rodlin and her family in prayer this morning and this week going forward. I don't know how many of you can relate to this or not. On one hand, you're saying, and you hear people saying, I can't believe it's still 2020. I mean, when is this year ever going to end? This year is going on and on and on. And then on the other hand, you hear people saying, can you believe it's already the middle of December? It's already the middle of December. You know, the the days go slow and the months go fast, right? And um, you look at your phone. It's the middle of December. And it's the time of year when people like me, preachers, are preaching sermons about the birth of Jesus. Not necessarily that we can prove that Jesus was born at the end of December, but because the whole world's talking about the birth of Jesus, and we want to celebrate that as well. And it's the time of the year when people like me, preachers, will spend some time in the book of Matthew or the book of Luke, and we'll talk about Jesus' birth on this earth and the ramifications of that to us. And I'm gonna do that this morning, but I'm not gonna be in the book of Matthew, and I'm not gonna be in the book of Luke. In fact, you're not gonna think this is a Christmas time sermon, but I'm gonna challenge you to stay with me because it is. And it kind of reminds me of the guy who was hitchhiking, and he finally got a car to stop and pick him up, and he's crawling into the front seat, and he says, Man, thanks for picking me up. It is so hard to hitchhike these days. Everybody's afraid they're going to be picking up a serial killer. The driver gets back on the highway and he said, The driver says, Well, I thought about that. And then I asked myself, What are the chances of two serial killers being in the same car at the same time? So, what are the chances of talking about Jesus other than in the Gospels or in the New Testament for that matter? And I'm going to tell you, the chances are excellent. Because the entire arc of Scripture, all of the Bible, focuses on Jesus. So we're not going to be in Matthew, we're not going to be in Luke, we're not going to be in the New Testament. We're going all the way back to the beginning. We're going to spend our time this morning, believe it or not, in the book of Genesis. And Genesis is a book about families. And it's a book about relationships. And if you've ever read the book, you know it's a book about kind of dysfunctional families and some fractured relationships. Cain and Abel. Cain kills his brother Abel. And then the question becomes, am I my brother's keeper? And Cain's answer is absolutely not. I am not my brother's keeper. But God is looking for someone who will say, absolutely. I am my brother's keeper. Someone who will Heal those hurts and mend those broken families and restore relationships, which brings us to today's story. Again, you're not going to think it's a Christmas story, but I'm telling you, it is. Um, so I want you to listen. And as we go through this, I'm going to invite you to think about any broken relationships that you might have in your life, any family tensions, any uh, hurts. Anything that just might need healing, I'm going to ask you to think about that during this message. And the message, the story that I'm going to share with you is a really familiar story. All of you here, and I'm sure just about all of you watching, you know this story. In fact, if we brought our Faith Lane kids over, they would be able to tell this story. But don't let your familiarity with the details rob you of what's going on in the narrative and what God is teaching us, not just about that moment, but but about Jesus as well. It's a story about a family, a big family, a family that has 12 sons in it. One of those sons is a kid by the name of Joseph. If I told you we're talking about Joseph today, you probably wouldn't have picked the Genesis Joseph, but that's who we're talking about. And here's how his story begins. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now we probably need a little bit of family context here. The father in this uh, text is Jacob. Jacob, like I just said, had 12 sons. He had some sons with his wife Leah. He had some sons with his wife Rachel. He had some sons with these two handmaidens named Zilpah and Bilpah or something like that. And uh, Joseph carries back to his father a bad report about his half-brothers. And we don't know what the bad report was but apparently, Joseph decides, I'm not my brother's keeper. I'm not my brother's keeper. I'm my dad's spy. Now, here's some other important information that we've probably got to be aware of. Now, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he'd been born to him in his old age. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. And... This text tells us it's because he was born to him in his old age. But we also know that Joseph was born to uh, Rachel. Rachel's Joseph's mother. And Rachel was Jacob's favorite wife. So Joseph is the favorite son of the favorite wife, born to Jacob in his old age. We're also told that Rachel was a woman who had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Beautiful. And then Scripture tells us that Joseph was well-built and handsome. There's not very many men in Scripture that are described as being handsome, but Joseph is one of them. So it appears that maybe Joseph gets all the good genes, you know, from his mom's side. But uh, one year, it's gift-giving time. And Dad, Jacob, is going to give one gift to one child. And he gives that gift to Joseph. The gift was a very ornate robe. If you have an older translation or if you can remember back to your flanagraph days, we know it as the coat of many colors. How do you think Joseph's brothers felt about him getting that one special gift from their dad? Well, I'll tell you how they felt. When his brothers saw that their father loved him, Joseph, more than any of them, they hated him. And could not speak a kind word to him. Interesting. doesn't seem like they get mad at their dad. Nobody goes to Jacob and says, hey, dad, what's the deal? We don't like the way you're showing favoritism to Joseph. Nobody actually goes back and addresses the root of the problem. And I think sometimes families get this way as well. And I think sometimes the first sign of a fractured relationships in a family isn't... The introduction of of violence is just the withdrawal of kindness. We just quit being kind to people. They could not speak a kind word to them. Withdrawal. Avoidance. Separation. Those things are meant to wound, and they do. Now, Joseph doesn't really help matters any, because he has a dream, has a couple dreams, actually, And instead of keeping these dreams to himself, he shares them with the family. Uh, The dream is the family is going to symbolically bow down to him. Again, the brothers, they don't take this well. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. And there's no indication in the text that Joseph is even aware of the anger and the hurt that these brothers are feeling. So a little bit of time goes by. Joseph's brothers are homicidally angry at him. They're off in the field uh, watching the flocks again. Jacob approaches Joseph and says, I want you to go check up on your brothers Basically, I want you to spy on your brothers, which is where you know, kind of this whole thing starts to, to, in the beginning. Um, it's an unbelievable story. It's a Christmas story. It really is. Uh, and the brothers of Joseph, they're a long way off. But they see Joseph coming from a distance. How do they know it's Joseph if they can't see his face? He's wearing the coat. He's wearing the robe. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. They see Joseph coming, they talk among themselves, and their decision among themselves is, let's kill him. Side note here. Be careful who you talk talk to about your anger. Now, sometimes we think it would be really therapeutic if I can just share with someone how angry I am and how upset I am But if that friend reinforces your bitterness and reinforces the the envy and the resentment, as what's going on here, you know, it just makes your anger problem worse. Some people are like anger incubators, it seems. Well, one of the brothers, uh, Judah was his name. He's number four in line, by the way. Uh, Judah comes up with an alternative plan. He says, let's not kill him. Instead, let's sell him. Let's sell them and then we'll make some money. Plus, we'll avoid a murder rap. We'll finally be done with Joseph, who you know, none of us can stand. And then we'll take an article of clothing and we'll dip it in blood and we'll tell Dad that you know, something terrible happened to him. What article of clothing do you think they took and dipped in blood? <laughs> the coat. Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, dipped the robe in blood, They took the ornamented robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it's your son's robe. Again, notice, they don't say, See if this is our brother's robe. In fact, they don't say, See if this is Joseph's robe. Instead, they say, See if this is your son's robe, that dreamer. And, of course, Jacob does recognize the robe. He knows that it is Joseph's. He concludes that Joseph has been killed. And he goes into mourning. His family all tried to comfort him, but it was no use. I will die in mourning for my son, he would say, and then begin to weep. So the brothers get rid of Joseph, but they don't get what they want. They don't get their father's love. They got what they asked for, but they don't get what they wanted. I mean, the family is as messed up as ever, probably more so. So, let's fast forward a little bit. Joseph gets sold into slavery. He ends up in Egypt as a slave, but he distinguishes himself as a slave. In fact, he actually gets a place where he's got some authority and is making some, um, you know, people are trusting him. But then he's falsely accused of a crime and he's put in prison. But he distinguishes himself in prison And he actually is given some responsibility and earns the trust of the jailer there. While he's in prison, he interprets a couple dreams from his fellow prisoners. One of those prisoners is put to death. The other ends up in service to Pharaoh. Time goes by. Pharaoh has a dream. And this ex-prisoner remembers a guy back in jail that could uh, interpret dreams. So they call for Joseph. He gets an audience with Pharaoh, the the big dog with the hot sauce. Pharaoh tells him his dream, and Joseph interprets the dream for Pharaoh. There's going to be seven bumper years of crops. This is seven years of great crops, followed by seven years of famine. Egypt needs to prepare for the famine during those seven good years. Pharaoh is so impressed with Joseph... He puts him in charge of the the process. In fact, he kind of rises to second in command. He's like the the prime minister of Egypt. And I've just condensed like 20 years into two minutes. Um, A lot has happened. But by the time the famine hits, um, the famine is severe. 20 years have passed from the time that Joseph was sold into slavery. And there's famine throughout the whole land, but Egypt has grain. Meanwhile, back at home, Jacob and his family are dealing with the famine as well. And they're starving to death. But they hear there's grain in Egypt. So Jacob sends his sons to Egypt to try to get some grain, but he doesn't send all of his sons. He keeps one son at home with him. His youngest son now guy by the name of Benjamin. Benjamin is now the favorite son. Benjamin was also born to Jacob in his old age, and he was born to the favorite wife as well. Rachel was his mom. So now Benjamin is the favorite son of the favorite wife, born to Jacob in his old age. So the brothers travel to Egypt. They actually end up in an audience with Joseph, but they don't know it's Joseph. It's been 22 years since they sold him into slavery. Joseph recognizes them. They don't recognize him. They bow down before him, just like the dream said. Joseph knows who they are. They don't know who he is. This is really important to the story. Joseph treats them as strangers. In fact, he's a little bit hostile towards them, he accuses them of being spies. And they're like, no, we're not spies, we're honest men. Sir, they said, there are 12 of us brothers, and our fathers in the land of Canaan. Our youngest brother is there with our father, and one of our brothers is no longer with us. And of course, Joseph is thinking, oh, yes, he is. <laughs> he is literally with you. But he tells his brothers, if that's true, if what you're telling me is true, you go home and you bring that little brother back here, and I'll give you what you're asking for. Question. Why didn't didn't Joseph just tell him who he was? Why didn't Joseph just say, see there, you just bowed down to me, I'm Joseph. Was he trying to exact some kind of revenge here? Is he trying to just make him squirm a little bit? I don't think so. Not knowing the story of Joseph. I mean, knowing the story of Joseph and knowing Joseph's character. I don't think that's what's going on here. I don't think that Joseph just wants to forgive his brothers. I think he's looking for reconciliation. I think he's looking for healing for the family. And you know, that's going to take some time. You know, reconciliation, that, that, that's a church word, right? Kind of a church word. Us Christians, we throw it around pretty loosely sometimes. But this story is going to show us reconciliation. It comes at a cost. That's where we're headed, by the way. So Joseph tells his brothers they're going to have to leave. Um, but they're going to leave one son there, as one brother there, as collateral and go back and get their younger brother. Here's their response. Speaking among themselves, as is the brothers, they said, This has all happened because of what we did to Joseph long ago. We saw his terror and anguish and heard his pleadings, but we wouldn't listen. That's why this trouble has come upon us. This is a very haunting verse to me. Because twenty-two years earlier, when we when we read about Joseph being sold into slavery, they don't say anything, the, the text doesn't say anything about Joseph's anguish and his terror. And we don't read anything about Joseph begging for his life, but 22 years later, his brothers remember that. Now they don't call him the dreamer. Now they don't call him dad's favorite. Now he's Joseph, our brother. And they don't know it, but the text says that as they were talking among themselves, Joseph was listening. He actually begins to see a change in their hearts over these past 22 years. In fact, Joseph goes into a room and weeps after hearing this. There's a lot lot of crying in this story. Uh, So fast forward again. The brothers go home and and they're there for a while because their dad is not going to let them go back to Egypt with Benjamin. Dad doesn't want to risk the chance of Benjamin not coming home. But... The famine is relentless, the family is desperate, so Jacob sends the boys back to Egypt along with Benjamin, his favorite son, and something very strange takes place. Joseph arranges a feast for his brothers when they return with Benjamin. At the feast, Joseph intentionally gives Benjamin five times more food than everybody else. Everyone else gets served, and Benjamin just gets buried in all this food. And Joseph is watching. How are those brothers going to respond? Because that's the favorite, and he's getting something that nobody else is getting. He is being treated differently. He's being treated better. How are the brothers going to respond? Has anything changed? Are they still going to be jealous? Joseph watches. And it appears that Joseph is treating his brothers with tremendous kindness and generosity. He gives them the grain. He sends them on their way back to Jacob. But before he does, he takes a gold cup and he hides it, places it in the sack of Benjamin, but he doesn't let them know. And then he calls his servants to bring the brothers back to Egypt he says, one of you has stolen something very precious to me. Their goods and, and, and bags are all searched. And there is the gold cup in Benjamin's sack. And Joseph tells the brothers, you all go back to your father. The kid stays. The kid is staying here. He's a thief. And he can rot in jail for all I care. Very interesting turn of events here. Here, the brothers are faced with a situation where the youngest son, the favorite child of the favorite wife, who gets all the attention, who gets all the blessings, who is dad's favorite, we can get rid of him. They've done it before. We can rid ourselves of Benjamin, and we don't even have to do anything wrong. For all they knew, Benjamin was guilty. All we have to do is go back and say, yeah, Ben Benjamin really messed up. He stole something from uh, Egypt. One of the brothers stands up. Judah stands up. Remember, it was Judah 22 years earlier who came up with the idea, let's sell him. Let's sell Joseph. Let's make some money on this thing. Let's deceive our father. This same guy, this same brother, Judah, stands up and gives the longest and most impassioned speech in the entire book of Genesis. Judah says, if we go back home without Benjamin, it's going to kill our dad. Then Judah stepped forward and said, And now, my Lord, I cannot go back to my father without the boy. Our father's life is bound up in the boy's life. When he sees that the boy is not with us, our father will die. We will be responsible for bringing his gray head down to the grave in sorrow. These are really incredible words by Judah. Again, Judah doesn't know who Joseph is. He said this as well. We have an aged father, and there's a young son born to him in his old age. His brother is dead. That's Joseph, who's not dead, and is the only one of his mother's sons left. That's Rachel, the favorite wife. And his father... Loves him again. Joseph or, or Judah doesn't say his father loves me, and Judah doesn't say his father loves his boys so much, he loves all of us. No, he says his father loves him. Now, there's a flaw in Jacob's character, absolutely a flaw that may never get fixed. But Judah realizes, you know, that path of jealousy and hatred. All all those feelings of envy and resentment that came so naturally to me 22 years ago, I don't want to go down that path again. I'm not going there again. And then comes the climax to the whole story. Judah, the one who 22 years earlier had convinced his brothers to sell Joseph into slavery to deceive their father. Judah says this, Please, my Lord. This is Judah talking to Joseph. But he doesn't know Joseph. Please, my Lord let me stay here as a slave instead of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. For how can I return to my father if the boy is not with me? I cannot, he, I cannot bear to see what this would do to him. Judah steps up and says, let me take his place. Let me take his place. Let the punishment fall on me. Let the boy go. Let him go free. And for the first time in the ancient world, the first time, punishment is seen through the lens of possible redemption. Am I my brother's keeper? And that's been the question of Genesis, Cain and Abel, Isaac and Ishmael, Jacob and Esau. Am I my brother's keeper? And the answer has always been no, I'm not my brother's keeper. But now Judah steps up and says... Yes, I am my brother's keeper. At great personal cost to me, I will be my brother's keeper. And now, finally, Joseph realizes these guys have changed. Their hearts aren't where they were 22 years ago. They've become their brother's keeper And it seems as if Joseph is able to let go of the resentment and the hurt and, and he's able to allow reconciliation to happen. Now Joseph starts to realize we could be a family again. Back to the text. Joseph has everyone else leave the room except him and his brothers. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it as well. And his brothers are so stunned that they've been talking to Joseph all this time. they do not exactly sure how to respond. He calls them back and he says, I am your brother, Joseph. Just in case you're not quite clear on which Joseph I am, the one you sold into Egypt, slavery in Egypt, you know, in case there's any confusion. It's me, it's Joseph. You know, sometimes you hear people say, oh, we need to forgive and forget. And they're not the same thing. And I think sometimes it's hard to forgive if I forget. Joseph doesn't forget. He's not living in denial. He's not trying to ignore or rationalize or excuse what they did. Instead, Joseph brings God into the equation. Listen to what Joseph tells his brothers. And now, do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. It was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. God had a plan the whole time. And I've been a part of the plan. God used me to save lives. God used me to save your life. Now, none of this would have happened if I hadn't gone through what I went through. We could never have been a family again if I hadn't gone through what I went through. Reconciliation, healing. It had to happen this way. And I like Genesis chapter 45, verse 21. So the sons of Jacob did as they were told. Joseph gave them wagons, as Pharaoh had commanded, and he supplied them with provisions for their journey, and he gave each of them new clothes. And the text doesn't say what kind of clothes Joseph gave his brothers. I would like to think he gave them all robes. (laughs) Wouldn't you? I would like to think he gave them very colorful robes. Now, remember, I told you this was a Christmas story. And I told you you weren't going to believe it. But, But listen, a few more years go by. Jacob is now at the end of his life And he is ready to pronounce a blessing on all of his sons. And the biggest, most important, greatest blessing does not go to Reuben, the oldest. And the biggest and the greatest blessing does not go to Joseph, the golden boy. And the biggest and greatest blessing does not go to Benjamin, the youngest and the other favorite the biggest and greatest blessing goes to Judah. The same Judah who said, let's sell him, let's trick our father. The same Judah who two decades later says, let me take his place. Take me and not my brother. The same Judah that offered his life for the life of his brother. And here's the blessing that Jacob gives Judah. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your father's sons will bow down to you, which wasn't in the dream, was it? You are a lion's cub, O Judah. The scepter, that, you know, that's that thing that kings hold. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he comes to whom it belongs and the obedience of the nations is his. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. The scepter, the crown, the kings of Israel won't come through Reuben. They won't come through Joseph. And they won't come through Benjamin. They're going to come through Judah. And years later, there would be a king named David. And then years after that, there would be a very different kind of king called the son of David, also referred to as the lion of the tribe of Judah. That's Jesus. His robe will be taken from him and dipped in blood. And he will say, Let the punishment fall on me. I'll take their place. I'll drink the cup. I'll endure the cross. He would say, I am my brother's keeper. God sent Jesus into the world as the ultimate expression of reconciliation. Through Jesus, God is drawing us back, healing those wounds, restoring that relationship. No, I asked you at the beginning of this thing to be thinking about some relationships in your life that might be fractured. That, uh, you know, maybe some family tensions or some friendships or just relationships that might need healing. You know, it's a time of year that this season, it could be a really tender time of year, but it could also be a really painful time of year. And I guess my challenge for us this morning is twofold. First, boy, We praise God for His love and for His wisdom and His willingness to send Jesus to the earth. We'll celebrate that. But my other challenge is this. Would you be willing to allow God to put you on a path of reconciliation? Would you be willing to, you know, that person that you might be thinking about, that family member, that friend that, just for whatever reasons, there's tension there. Would you be willing to, to think about that person and take whatever step you can take toward that person? Maybe it's a call, maybe it's a visit, maybe it's a note, a conversation. God sent his son Jesus into this earth. He was born in a barn, he was killed on a cross, but he did it for one purpose. One reason, and that was to reconcile us back to him. That was to fix the family that our sin had severed. That was to give us a relationship back to the Father. Now he's asking us to be a part of this ministry of reconciliation. He's asking us to join in. on a world that's broken and jealous and hateful. He's asking us, would you be just like Judah? Or more importantly, would you be like the lion of the tribe of Judah? Would you be willing to be your brother's keeper? Would you make the effort, even if it's not reciprocated, even if you're not sure how it's going to be received, would you make the effort to mend those relationships? Would you do that? Let's pray. Father, I pray for everyone who knows what it feels like to be hurt or wounded or betrayed or victimized or rejected, who knows what it feels like to be thrown into a pit by someone with trust. Father, I pray for every hurt, every burden, all the darkness. God, would you wipe it away? Would you light our path? Would you bring the miracle of reconciliation between brothers and sisters? Would you help us to be our brother's keeper? I pray in the name of your son. Amen. Hey, if you're watching online and um, God's put it on your heart, and you got, or maybe you've got a relationship that, man, I need some prayers for this thing, uh, there's a link uh, available to you that you can contact uh, the the family here at Bay Area and we will pray with you or for you about uh, anything that's going on in your life. If you'd like to speak to someone or get in touch with someone personally, you can do it through that link as well. For those of us who are in the auditorium this morning, um, the shepherds are going to make themselves available here somewhere at the front of the auditorium after we dismiss. Dave's got a song that he's going to use to get us ready to share in communion together.